0: Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Zach Holt, and this is Come to the Table. Some of our most intimate conversations happen at the kitchen table. Walls crumble as space is created to know one another more deeply. Our hurt and our heartache is replaced by hope and healing when we pull up a chair, let down our guard, and simply be who we are, where we are. In our time together, we'll step into the shoes of others through recovery stories of redemption, offer resources and connections for those in need, and come together as a community starving for revival in our region. So if you're hungry, you came to the right place. We're so excited to have you with us today on this episode of Come to the Table hopefully last week's live episode was a blessing to you. We look forward to, on the first episode of every month, bringing you a similar broadcast, just being live in the booth and taking and fielding uh, questions either uh, via phone uh, or questions that have been emailed or messaged into our ministry and really just diving in in real time and and responding and reacting to some common concerns and uh, issues and struggles that people have as they navigate the road from suffering to hope. So if you have questions that you would like us to dive into, you're more than welcome to submit those anytime uh, to me, Zach Holt, at uh, thetablebristol117 at gmail.com. You can also look me up on Facebook, Zach Holt, and you can message message me that way as well and would love to to be a support for you. And as I said last week, the odds are if, if you're having a question, if you're having a struggle, someone else is having something similar going on. Uh, So we really appreciate you being an active part of our listening community and uh, supporting others in their recovery by voicing a question or a concern or a problem that you're having. Um, So we're back to our regular rhythm today where we interview and create space to share stories of redemption and uh, offer uh, some hope to maybe somebody who is now where we once were. So today uh, we have uh, my good friend and dear brother, Jared. Uh, on the on the interview with us. And uh, so, Jared, we're glad to have you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Glad to be here. And we're awesome. Awesome to have you. And uh, so I met Jared uh, three and some change years ago. Yeah. Is that about right? July 30th,
1: 2020.
0: Wow. Coming up on four. Yeah. Coming up <laughs> on four years. That's crazy. <laughs> and uh, so you were, gosh, you were one of the early residents at Bristol Lifestyle Recovery.
1: Yeah, I was, like, the first of uh, six, seven, maybe. That's
0: wild. Yeah. yeah. So whenever he first opened up, they had this this huge building, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the very first one, um, but it was, like, so weird because he was like – he said it. He was like, this is so weird. He's like, I'm in this huge building, and it's just, <laughs> just me and all this staff. And I was like, bro, I feel for you. And uh, so, yeah, Jared, six or seven. Um, so, yeah, man, let's, let's dive into it, share a little bit about uh, kind of – You know, growing up, where you come from, and just let your heart lead you. We'd love to hear hear where you come from.
1: Well, I'm a recovering addict. Uh, um, I've been clean since July 30th, 2020. Uh, You know, I I started real young to see how people in my family, people around me, they they use drugs, and they saw this as a, or at least I saw this as a way that they, they dealt with life. They, they used drugs to just have fun and to cope with things. And when I got older, you know, I, I seen this as the as the way that my family did it. Well, this is this is how I should do it too. And when uh, I started using, it was just to have fun and things like that. As I got older. And I started going through some emotional and physical abuse. It seemed like the perfect way to cope, so I I dug my heels in and went a little deeper into it and started using IV drugs and harder drugs, things like that. And it wasn't long before I was pretty spun out, and my life was going down the tubes, um you know eventually i ended up homeless and living in hotels motels working for them and just trying to make ends meet to get a, a roof over my head each night uh one thing led to another and i ended up in in jail prison and i was left with the only option i had which was to to just read my bible you know and to really analyze my actions to really take a deep look at myself and the harm I'd caused to others and to myself even and it it was that self-reflection that that led me deeper into my recovery it allowed me to to clear out some negative space uh when I got out of prison my it wasn't long after my brother had had killed himself that I ended up relapsing and went back to prison for a violation, um, and I was given more time to to really to re- to really question where I was at in my recovery. When I got out, I went to B. L. R. Like Zach was talking about, and. I started attending meetings and really started to work on clearing the clutter that was lying dormant. Mm-hmm. Uh there was so much things, so many things that I just needed to to clear out of out of my heart to make room for for self-improvement and it was it was in working those steps that i was able to to really open up room in my heart for god and it just it it opened so many doors that like just uh making amends with my family uh building back those bridges it's it was a lot harder to to build those bridges than it was to burn them Mm. and like my uncle he he passed away recently and i'm I'm just thankful that I got the opportunity to to build back that bridge I treated him pretty poorly. Um it's just God works on his time, you know, and we we take advantage of of the days we have. We we take them for granted. Absolutely. Um but it's it was in making those amends and just it just opened up so many doors to build back those bridges hmm.
0: So a, a couple of things and then um, man there's a, a got me a, got my wheels turning that's good. that's really good stuff. So in past episodes we've talked a lot about some of the things that m- most everybody I would say desire crave need on some level. Um, is uh, acceptance and significance and security. Um, uh, We wanna be accepted by others. Um, We wanna feel like we matter. We wanna feel significant, and then we wanna feel safe. We wanna feel security. Um, And so it sounded like that um, amidst kind of some, you know, physical abuse and stuff like that, that maybe there wasn't that security piece. Was Was that a driver in how you coped with the reality of the abuse was to use? yeah um it,
1: it was a good outlet for me to to have when i was when times weren't bad and it as fleeting as the the feeling was it was an outlet to to dig deeper into when i was experiencing bad stuff i could i could block it out and i could black out and forget and not have to not have to deal with things um, it was, it was just me trying to fill that, that void that, that, uh, that led me deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: The, the more I used, the less I had to deal. Yeah. And so on the card over here, you know, you just mentioned, uh, and again, so sorry for your, for your loss with your uncle. Um, you know, on the card over here, we were talking you know, about how you've been kind of grieving, how you've been coping, how, how does how does coping look different now sober and clean than it did in your addiction? Well, um, cause stuff still happens even in recovery. Like life can still be kind of rough sometimes. Yeah. So how do I've, you weather those storms? I've
1: dealt with it by creating my own blog in order to, to reach people in addiction, to reach them where they're at. You know, we're, with no judgment, no shame, no guilt, just a former, well, recovering addict that is trying to reach others mm-hmm. that are in the same boat I was once in.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Share share the hope that's in me. That's great. That's great, you know. And that's, um, I think that's a, a really powerful message for, for people to hear that, and I think at the core, of the 12 steps um you know and you did beautifully working through those working those together for like a year to take us a year or something like that to go through them awesome awesome process um and and so over the course of that um really the the steps are about what we call ego deflation it's about uh getting small right you get low and you stay low Uh, and it's through this process of destroying self, uh, destroying the ego, um, that we find humility. Because that, um, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about that self-centeredness is the core of our disease. Um, that the problem is me, okay? you know, you can't defeat what you don't define. And when you're trying to fight the legal system and you're trying to fight trauma and you're trying to fight all these things, um, the, the real problem is, is my attitudes and my actions. Um, and so the 12 steps is a pathway through which we're able to deal with the real problem. Um, and one of the words that comes up a lot through the step work is humility. Um, and I, I love C.S. Lewis's definition of humility because he says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Um, and I think that what you shared about your coping now um, versus our coping before is your coping now is you're thinking of yourself less, right? So rather than, uh, and obviously there, there's a time to weep and there's a time to mourn and I'm not trying to minimize that at all. but. Um, what i want to highlight is how in the midst of that um you you kind of turned that that pain into something that could produce fruit in the lives of others um, which i think is a beautiful display of humility um, because you you aren't necessarily just thinking about yourself you're thinking about um you know you're not asking why you're asking how like how can i in this season of pain in this season of sorrow and mourning and lament Um, How can this be turned uh, for the good of others? And I think I think that's a beautiful response, um, you know, because the truth is, is that trouble still comes, you know, and issues still rise up. Um, So have there been have there been other times where uh, some of the some of the step work in particular has has impacted decision making or where you've seen it uh, shape, you know, uh, an action or an attitude? uh the biggest thing is
1: reacting differently um like if i get a text or a phone call that that upsets me especially text cuz i'm in the past prone to just blurting out whatever comes to mm-hmm. mind and it, it's given me patience mm-hmm. in how i respond to people uh, it, I'm more apt now to to come back later with a response. I won't I won't go into it firsthand, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've gone from being more reactive to more responsive. Right. Um so uh and I can definitely relate to that because it's <laughs> like I have a tendency to like react, you know, when something happens like I can feel it welling up inside of me like i need to you know and and but it's like uh recovery has taught me to take a pause you know slow down take a breath um and uh, i remember i don't know if you remember uh, bart uh but bart would always he would always just say whoa buddy he'd just say slow down it's like, <laughs> take a breath and it was like in early recovery i wasn't ready to receive that yet because i was still reactive But it's like over time you you begin to slow and and you begin to respond instead of react um so i think that's i think that's really good um a a lot of our one question i wanted to circle back to is is a, a lot of people uh in our listening community in our recovery community uh have struggled with with trauma and pain in our past um and you're no stranger to that um either in in different you know things that you've shared with me in the past so how have you seen um, that that trauma shaped you in a positive way? It gave me uh, the means to be able to
1: connect with other people. It's a big one. Um, there's there's been lots of areas in my life where I've I have witnessed things and been through experiences that that gives me
0: the insight and the knowledge to be able to work with others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how does how does working with others, how does helping others help you? It, like you was talking about earlier, makes me think of myself less. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a big one,
1: Um, because when I'm not when I'm not thinking about myself, I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking about the trauma. I'm not thinking about things that have happened to me or things that could in my mind like using i I don't think about those things i think about how am i helping somebody today
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's really good yeah and it fills us up in a way that oh um, yeah you know that you know so crazy because for all those years you know i was Uh, addicted to painkillers and i thought the painkillers were taking the pain but they were actually making the pain (laughs) you know and uh the funny the way that works um but it's like in in recovery we're, we're actually able to facilitate the the removal of the pain of others right and a lot of times that's facilitated by experiences and trauma that was trying to steal and kill and destroy um but how god has this miraculous way of of turning what was intended to kill us and harm us and, and turn that for the good and uh, for the saving of lives and, and reaching of others, you know, who are now where we once were. It releases endorphins too, uh I mean, it just
1: gives you a feeling of completion, like satisfaction. It just fulfills you. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Would you have said that was true of, of life and addiction? No. <laughs> it was like I was talking about earlier, those, those fleeting feelings that, uh, I was constantly trying to refill, refill those feelings, and it was just fleeting. It was here one minute and gone the next. Mm-hmm. It never stayed with me. And now I can constantly pour into others, and I'm constantly being filled by pouring into them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pouring out my cup, but it's being
0: refilled as I'm pouring. That's good. You know. Yeah. Yeah there's a story um uh where i think it's um uh elijah goes to a widow um and and she's got these she doesn't have any oil but she's got all these empty jars um and so it's it's really cool what happens in that story because as Elijah or excuse me, as the, the widow begins pouring begins pouring what little bit of oil she does have into the next jar, um, then the oil keeps flowing. Like as long as she's pouring out, um, there is a continuous supply of oil that goes into the jar. Yeah. And then when she stops pouring, the oil stops flowing. <laughs> uh and I always thought that was such a, a cool story and a good reminder. Um, because if you want to keep it, you've got to give it away, you know? And it's like, when we start pouring, that oil starts flowing. When we start extending to others, the, the hand of recovery, the hand of freedom, um, when we reach out to others in the midst of their darkness, their lostness, homeless, poverty, incarceration, whatever. Um, then it's like, it's like we're filled in the process. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, and it's, you know, many people have a full life. Um, but not as many people have a fulfilled life, um, you know, and I don't think you have a full, fulfilled life unless you're filled full. And <laughs> I don't think you get filled full unless you're filling others. Um, uh, so it's kind of this really beautiful cycle of redemption, uh, where if you want to keep it, you have to give it away. Yeah. So when you, when you got out of, you got out of prison and you came, did you come straight to be a lar from prison? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what was what was that transition like for you? It was a culture shock. I
1: it was a big culture shock in the fact that I was leaving confinement and I was given a little more freedom, but I I wasn't given enough freedom to to hang myself with. Mm-hmm. I was able to interact with people that were like minded, uh, that were seeking sobriety. And it just it gives me structure and when i was able to go to the meetings and hear that there's other people that have that have the sobriety and they they have a story to tell of their own of how they they were in addiction and they they found mm-hmm. a way it it helped me to to have that structure in a way that prison it just It didn't give me any Mm
0: -hmm. and so you started walking into that and the the structure helped and and so uh one of the challenges uh that i see a lot is that when when people leave a treatment center uh or some sort of structured supervised environment and they're just got an apartment somewhere you know um they they struggle and they flounder so how have you been able to maintain such a, a strong recovery in spite of you know being physically housed in a in a recovery facility um just the reminders
1: like I, I have to remind myself every day you know that that i'm i'm apt to go back to using at any point and i have to i have to look at myself daily and i do that through you know i i, I pray and i meditate and i i read on the word of god and i, I I'm able to use that as a mirror to see. Well, what can I do different today that I that I'm that I'm struggling with? Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything yesterday that I did that I, I can improve on today? It's mm-hmm. as in asking those questions that I can I can grow and I can mature
0: as a person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it sounds like a, a lot of what you're talking about that's helpful for you uh, in terms of like daily practices is um, sounds like a, a lot of the language that we use around Step 10, where in Step 10, it's a it's a, a personal daily inventory. It's a continuous process. You know, uh, the, the big mistake a lot of people make is that, you know, recovery and, and sobriety is like a, a, an inoculation or a vaccine, <laughs> you know, that you just get it one time and it's and it's over. Uh, but it really is more like dialysis. It, it really is something that, you know, I have, I have this condition. I have this disease, this spiritual affliction. Um, and and I, I'm only granted a daily reprieve, you know, contingent on my spiritual fitness. you yeah. know. And if I'm not uh, dying to myself uh, daily, if I'm not uh, each day making uh, regimented steps towards the deflation of my ego, you know, so that I become smaller uh, and more humble that self-centeredness invariably will come back. It's it's in remission one day at a time, uh, but it, it'll come back like a tumor if I'm not cognizant and if I'm not continuous in my work towards that. Um, so practices like that step 10 inventory of, you know, was I kind today? Was I selfish today? You know, did I practice deceit today? Was, um, you know, is there anything I need to make amends for, uh, you know, that I said or did that didn't align with the path that I'm on? So on that topic of of amends um it uh, causes a lot of people uh step 4 is is a, a big hurdle for folks that's where it's a, a comprehensive moral inventory really emptying out the contents of the closet of our heart and just getting it all out in the open and then another one that tends to trip people up is, is the uh is the amends process um so uh, as much as you feel comfortable why don't you kind of shed some light on what that was like for you and and why it was so helpful because you mentioned it built back bridges that you had burned down um but maybe just uh, a couple minutes on on how maybe that process in particular was helpful for you
1: um the step four was i didn't want to i didn't want to look at myself and i didn't want to i didn't want to admit where i was where i had harmed others and i didn't want to admit where i was in the wrong uh, it was against my self-ego. I do not want to tell anybody that I've messed up. And in in that process, it was just like freedom. Mm-hmm. Each time I admitted where I had failed, where I had harmed, where I had done something I shouldn't have done, it was just a weight being lifted off of me. And when I went into to making the amends, like, I... I was so fearful, like they're they're gonna just chew me up and spit me out, you know. And I, the first one was was really hard to do, and I I got it out of the way, and it was like they they accepted it, and they it was just nothing like I had imagined in my mind, um, and it got easier to do the next one. Um, and it's it, it, it with each one it got it got easier and there's still some that I I have to make but it's finding those people mm-hmm. and I truly believe that that door will open and and when it's supposed to mm-hmm. and it's just it's like just this weight that's been lifted <laughs> it's nothing like I've ever felt before. Um, it's just cleared up room in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the biggest part of the steps. I think that's the most important mm-hmm. is admitting where you're,
0: where you're slipping up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. And, and we hear. We hear confession, and it's like I say the word confession, and immediately people are thinking like an interrogation room with police. <laughs> uh, immediately it's got this like negative connotation, this negative overtone. Um, but I, I believe confession is actually an act that draws us closer to our understanding of God. You know, that whatever language you want to put around God, I, I mean, it— Uh, it, it draws us closer to him, uh, when we remove that wreckage, when we remove the frequency right now, we're so grateful that you're listening on, you know, WHC 90.7 and Wyze FM, you know, but if, if you're trying to get 90.7, but you're on 90.5, um, you may get a word (laughs) or two from me, but, but you're not going to get the whole message. You're going to get a whole lot of static. And so confession is a process where we're able to adjust the dial and realign our frequency with the frequency of our creator. And it's through that removal of the static, removal of the wreckage, that we're able to begin to hear clearly for the first time, you know, and find that. and And it's it's amazing to me to walk with others and hear how the amends process goes. Because as I said, step four, the inventory, steps eight and nine, the amends, those are the those are the, what my wife calls the crunchy bits. You know, those are those are the really challenging ones. But at the end of the journey, when I asked people which ones were the most fruitful, you can guess which ones they would say. They would say it was the inventory and it was the amends. Um, And there's something truly empowering about uh, acknowledging uh, and admitting our our mistakes, you know, confessing that and saying, look, I fell short here. Um, Because if the whole point of the 12 steps is the deflation of the ego, the destruction of self, that we would get low and stay low. Well, what better way than to, than to confess and share, look, I've, I've wronged you here. Uh, and over time, it becomes a regular practice, you know, in, in our lives. There's a, um, a, a reading that says, you know, never let the sun go down on your anger, yeah. you know. And um, I've heard it said in, in recovery settings that if you go to bed angry, you wake up with a resentment, you know, and something happens when you sleep on your anger. Um, that it that it can produce resentment, which, of course, is like swallowing poison, expecting someone else to (laughs) die, Uh, which I I love that image because it's so true. (laughs) It's, you know, my you know, my anger and my hatred towards an individual. It's not hurting them, but it's killing me inside. (laughs) Uh, And so confession is a means by which we realign that dial um, to once again reclaim that frequency with others uh, and with our creator. Um, So, Jared, as we wrap up our time here, man, it always goes by so fast. Um, If you had a a closing word, 15, 20 seconds, to speak to someone who is still struggling, what would you say to them? Uh, I would just say that there is hope, you
1: know, that we are not defined by our actions. We're defined by what refines us. Mm -hmm. And there
0: is a solution, I mean, we, we just got to accept it. That's great. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Come to the Table really hope that it's been an encouragement to your recovery, maybe created in you a curiosity about what it means to live into this new mindset of selfless service to others. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, uh, for coaching on how you can more faithfully walk with others in their time of need, I would love to connect with you and pour into you. If you're interested in recovery resources uh, or even creating intentional spaces for spiritual growth, you can reach out to me at the Table Bristol. 117 at gmail.com. Friend, you don't have to walk this road alone. Hope and redemption, uh, beauty, uh, joy out of mourning, light from dark. uh, These things are all so much closer than you know. Uh, So if we can help you in any way, please reach out. Grace and peace to you, my friend.